Shock Monkey Radio is entertainment for adults, by adults, and the views and opinions expressed here do not reflect upon the sponsors or FXBG Public Radio. For additional information, please refer to the United States Bill of Rights. Stand warned. You are a hallucination brought on by alcohol, Russian vodka poisoned by Chernobyl. Hello and welcome to the Christmas episode of Shock Monkey Radio. I'm your host, The Madman. Now, I really don't like to gossip, but have you heard any talk of this maybe being the best holiday episode ever? (laughs) Have you? Have you heard that? You heard people saying that? Anyway, there's only one thing I can give you for this Christmas season, and that is the gift of Philadelphia. I own the city of Philadelphia, and I'm giving it to you. No. What I mean is that Philadelphia is love like that of a brother. And that's all I can give anyone this Christmas. Sorry about that. Uh, but if you'd like to get me a gift, you can always go to patreon.com slash shockmonkeyradio. Become a patron. I would really appreciate it this holiday season. Also, you can use the cash app. Use the cash tag shockmonkeyradio. And you can send me cash that way. I'd appreciate it. And if you want to email me, you can email me at madman at fxbgpr.com. Okay, so... um. It's a Christmas episode. We're going to be taking it a little bit light, a little bit shallow as well, as shallow as I can get. And so uh, uh, just want to keep it light and cheery. You know, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's a job now, you know, it's the Christmas season. I don't feel like working. Nobody wants, you know, feels like working on the week of Christmas. And so, uh, you know, the pay may be horrible, but it's a job that I love, but it's work nonetheless. And so, you know, we'll just steam through this show today and uh, (laughs) see how it, uh, Try to get out of here quickly. We'll maybe skim over the news worth knowing. Uh, but today I want to talk about some of my favorite Christmas movies uh, and talk about them a little bit. So I'm going to start off. I'm going to start off talking about A Christmas Story and Scrooged. Uh, it's just a short little mention about these two uh, movies briefly. Um, a Christmas Story is a classic Christmas movie, obviously, and I think it wonderfully captures those old time Christmases we used to have before the internet and before there was, you know, there was more than four channels on television, a time when radio often provided more entertainment, you know, and a time when mothers actually washed their kids' mouths out with soap for saying, oh, fudge, a time where kids were so bored they would stick their tongues to poles and dream of picking off bad guys with a spring firing BB gun. It also addressed the not-so-pleasant aspects of Christmas, like the horrible pink bunny suit sent from a distant aunt, and the fact that bullies like Scott Farkas are bullies every single day of the year. There is no heart of gold hiding within Scott Farkas. There's also a budding interest in sexuality, as shown by the gaudy leg lamp that Ralphie's dad received, and how his mother, quote-unquote, accidentally broke it while cleaning it. And speaking of Ralphie's father... He's ranting and raving at the furnace just to keep his family warm during the cold months, as is a father's duty. I even think that the profound cursing is allowed when a man has to jury-rig his uh, furnace to keep it functioning during the happiest of seasons. Then you have tons of people trying to tell you that what you want for Christmas is too dangerous and should be denied you. Then you get exactly what you wanted. And then you shoot your eye out just like everybody warned. And so you conceal a lie, you concoct a lie to avoid a whole bunch of I told you so's. Ah, the magic of Christmas. 
And even when the Bumpus's dogs ransack the house for turkey, you learn that even the face of tragedy, even in the face of Scott Farkas and the Bumpus's dogs, you can still make a fine family Christmas regardless of the conditions. It's as heartwarming as the people of Whoville singing around the tree despite the Grinch stealing all their stuff. That's a positive message no matter how you cut it. <clears throat> Scrooged is my favorite Christmas movie. I think I mentioned that last week. Uh, obviously, it's a remake of the classic Dickens tale, A Christmas Carol, Christmas Carol but it has a Bill Murray twist. And frankly, I think it's Bill's best work. The Ebenezer Scrooge of this movie is a guy named Frank Cross, and he is a terrible, awful, hate-filled human being. However, his barbs are hilarious. In fact, he revels in his hate, amusing himself with his mistreatment of people, which, by proxy, entertain us, the audience. In terms of format, it's very clear-cut and by the book. Jerk sees a ghost, warned by the warns of being visited by three more ghosts, past, present, future, Niagara Falls, Frankie Angel, a change of heart, and the world is a better place for it. But the biting dialogue and the crazy characters are what make this movie. It proves that comedy and good entertainment are not so much in the, uh, in the format, but rather the writing and dialogue. People say the film is somewhat dark, and that's true. But the darkness of the film is not outside the realm of humanity or reality. The tragedy and redemption of Elliot Laudermilk is a perfect example of what I mean. He gets fired at Christmas, his wife and daughter leave him, and he gets lost in the bottle for a while and eventually gets a shotgun in New York City and goes to the IBC building to kill Frank Cross. Dark, sure, but such things do happen. That kind of darkness in our reality is what makes the precious moments so precious. It is why the spirit of Christmas is so special for all of our lives. Because we are all one, one comment to Frank Cross away from heading down the dark path of Elliot Laudermilk. But let's be honest, Elliot was probably arrested after barging into the control room to hold the crew at gunpoint. How much disbelief can you actually suspend? Even if it's Christmas. I mean, Frank's boss... Preston, who's played by Robert Mitchum, punted a cat at the end of the film. People don't forget something like that. Okay, least of all the cat. I don't care if it's Christmas. <laughs> so that's why Scrooge is my favorite movie. All right, let's talk about It's a Wonderful Life. And just like you, <clears throat> I have seen this movie a million times. It never fails to tug at the old heartstrings, and it is a fine example of how the Christmas spirit of charity and goodwill should be something we should all carry with us all year long. But if you start looking at this movie as a sort of Twilight Zone episode, you can really start getting some enjoyment out of the film. When, quote-unquote, the angels make it as if George were never born, it's as if George finally sees the world as it truly is. Bedford Falls, up until that point, had been suspiciously idyllic. And nowhere in the world has ever been the idyllic uh, leave-it-to-beaver fantasy that you see in films from this era. People of that generation tend to look back on it with rose-colored glasses. But suddenly, George Bailey sees the world as it truly is. A world where crime is on the main streets of Bedford Falls, or Pottersville, as it were. A world where he failed to save his brother's life. A world where his mother disowned him and refuses to acknowledge his existence. 
a world where the love of his life is a quote-unquote old maid who never married, which is nonsense because that was Donna Reed, and she was gorgeous. She definitely would have found another man to uh, marry her. Then George realizes the truth about himself. He's an old drunk who is squatting in that old house, constructing a fantasy about a loving wife and children. And he's running a business that spits in the face of old man Potter, to whom he is indebted to, like all the residents of Potterville. He sees himself as the old violent drunk in town, eventually being chased by the police to the point where he comes back to the river and realizes that he prefers the fantasy to the horrible and realistic reality that we all, all know now. See, Bedford Falls doesn't exist anymore. It's Pottersville, where we live, where Violet needs to leave town for a while to conceal her pregnancy. And sometimes life is better if you can just stumble on down for a drink at Martini's Bar. Excuse me, Nick's Bar. Forget your troubles for a while. The question is, how long has George been forgetting his troubles? All right, we got to talk about the obligatory Die Hard. If you think Die Hard is not a Christmas movie, then no movie is a Christmas movie. It's a Wonderful Life, for example, is just an existential crisis Twilight Zone episode that happens to take place at Christmas in some scenes. Gremlins is just a horror movie that happens to be taking place during Christmas. And Die Hard is a Christmas movie that takes place during an action movie. So don't kid yourself. Christmas is not always warm fuzzies and pleasant feels. Crimes spike during the holiday season, and Die Hard does not shy, shy away from that fact. Not to mention that there has always been dark elements of the Christmas season, from the Krampus to the Grinch to Harry and Marv. Harry and Marv. Theft and robbery during Christmas is as common as a partridge in a pear tree. So how can you say Die Hard is not a Christmas movie? It's so festive! The plot begins at a Christmas party. There's Christmas music all throughout the film. There's gifts. There's snack cakes for a pregnant wife. There's a Rolex for Holly. Her name is Holly, for God's sakes, for St. Nick's sake. And then there's a pistol lovingly wrapped with care on John's shoulder, like Santa's magic sack. How dare you think it's not a Christmas movie? Santa shows up at some point to say, now I have a machine gun. Ho, ho, ho. <coughs> and, but, and if you're into the Christian aspects of the holiday, there's a resurrection at the end. The tall blonde guy is hanging there by the neck and still comes back for one more shot at killing John. There's Judas. There's that the Ellis guy. Hans. Booby. That guy that you couldn't wait to die. Couldn't wait for him to get killed. Anyway, there's even John's feet. They're all cut up from glass. You could say that it's like Jesus' wounds from the cross. Perhaps that's a stretch, but still, it's a Christmas movie, and I don't care what anyone says. Mm. Yelling makes dehydrate you. So let's talk about Home Alone. Uh, some people consider Home Alone to be a Christmas movie, and technically, I suppose it is. I guess I just think that there are too many questions about the McAllisters. Um, what kind of people travel in such a large group to Paris during the Christmas holiday? Not much is, not much is mentioned about what exactly the McAllisters do to live so high on the hog. Face it, it's a very nice house they live in, so someone there is doing quite well for themselves. I have explanations. Okay. I just watched this today. Okay. So, the McAllister's brother took a job in Paris. Okay. And that explains the excess of kids who are there to finish out the school year. 
So the McAllisters are taking their brother's kids to to Paris for Christmas so the family can be together. Okay. That explains the excess of children in the family that don't live there. The jerk in the shower? He, he got a job in Paris? Is that what you're no, saying? that's another brother. Okay. And another wife and their kids who are also there. So it's three families in that house. Yeah. I like my theory better. Oh, they don't all live there. I'm just saying. Oh, I see. There's three. Yeah, I got you. The one brother has a job in Paris. Okay. So we can assume that. They're already there? They're, well, all of them are money-making people. Okay. Okay. Not just the McAllisters, but okay. also the brother who has the job in Paris. Okay. Because they all seem spoiled rotten, right? Yes. That's yes. what I'm saying. So they're all high up there in the chain. Yeah. Okay. Well, so, but my, my question is, what are the tax laws concerning cash gifts in France? All right. That's what I want to know. The McAllisters live in the Chicago suburbs, a town notorious for corruption and organized crime. Could Mr. McAllister be going to collect a Christmas bonus from a mob boss in Paris? Maybe Mr. McAllister is a mob lawyer. And that would explain their wealth, and it could explain why Harry and Marv are so intent upon getting that darn kid instead of shifting to softer targets on the block. Do Harry and Marv have beef with Mr. McAllister? If they are simply burglars, why the obsession with that house? I get it. The kid pissed you off. And the wet bandits are not exactly the best of the criminal class. But at some point, you should cut your losses and go after houses that are actually empty. And what kind of family forgets their kid on a trip outside of the country? I know Kevin is annoying and a pest, but that's the point. They should have quickly noticed the absence of his irritating behaviors on the way to the airport. And I don't care if the teenage daughter did a head count and who trusts teenage girls with anything anyway. So you can go ahead and watch this movie this holiday season, but I don't really consider it a Christmas movie. It's more of a bond between a mother and son movie than anything. After all, Mr. McAllister seems blissfully unconcerned with anyone in his family. Perhaps he's too preoccupied with pleasing the Don. So go and watch Home Alone, and go, perhaps Home Alone, Home Alone 2 for the Trump cameo. But from there, you have to start in on the Saw movie series. After all, we all know that Kevin McAllister grew up to be the Jigsaw Killer. So now you can watch those Home Alone movies with a little darker edge. And imagine what Kevin would really like to do with Harry and Marv. You know, a puppet rides in with a tricycle. Hello, Mr. Lime, or as your friends call you, Harry. You have quite a temper, Mr. Lime. You're a bit of a hothead. They used to tar and feather hotheads years ago. Or perhaps even, hello, Mr. Merchants, or as your partner calls you, Marv. You're in a dangerous business, Mr. Merchants, and you seem intent on making a name for yourself in all the wrong ways. You need to learn how to tread lightly, Mr. Merchants. Tread lightly as if ornaments and micro-machines are all over the floor. Tread lightly as if there were nails on the stairs. Anyway, that's how I like to enjoy Home Alone. Serial killer in the making. All right, we're gonna, we'll talk about one more movie before we get into the news. We're talking about Gremlins. Gremlins is a fantastic holiday creature feature. And that's how you need to look at Gremlins, as a creature feature, simply a horror movie. Think about it that way so when Phoebe Kate starts telling that horrifying story about her father, you don't find it out of place. You cannot make the mistake that Gremlins is a kid's movie. It's not, even though they fought so hard to get that PG-13 rating. 
Also, don't get the don't let the cuteness of Gizmo distract or deceive you. Mogwai are monsters. Make no mistake. I don't care if he sings and likes comic books, and I don't care how much Corey Feldman vouches for the damn thing. Mogwai are monsters. One screw up. One screw up, just one, and your town will be overrun by murderous monsters. Don't forget that the old man was adamant about not selling Gizmo to Mr. Peltzer. And it was only the foolish young boy who allowed, the, allowed a dumbass American to buy the damn thing. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, I don't know why anyone would keep a Mogwai at all. They should all be killed. Gizmo is not quote-unquote a good Mogwai. He's probably just the most docile of the last brood that overran Chinatown or perhaps Hong Kong. Mogwai, I think, is a Cantonese word uh, meaning devil, I think. So make no mistake, Gremlins is a horror movie. Granted, it's a B-horror movie with Steven Spielberg as executive producer, but all the same, it's not a kid's movie. Now, when it comes to my town being overrun by gremlins, I am fairly confident that the human would win, humans would win out. Just like in the movie, but the simple fact that you'd have to murder gremlins with knives, guns, cars, and blenders would be so gruesome and traumatizing. So go ahead and get the kids somewhere safe before murdering gremlins. That kind of thing is not for children. But as a charming and ridiculous creature feature horror movie that takes place during the Christmas season makes for a fun holiday movie. It's just a great holiday movie. I just don't understand how casual everyone is when seeing the Mogwai for the first time. If I saw a creature I'd never heard of or read about or seen before, I would be losing my mind. I would be flipping through encyclopedia. Botan Encyclopedia Britannica's like crazy. It was the 80s, by the way. Trying to find something referring to Mogwai. Then, if I learn the rules, no sunlight, don't get them wet, don't feed them after midnight, you know what that sounds like? That sounds like a vampire, a witch, and an unruly child all rolled into one. Which logically leads us towards the thought that it's an evil monster and it should not be allowed to live. Speaking of feeding them after midnight, how early is too early for breakfast? Because some people have to get up at 4 a.m. And I like omelets. And if I and I have to feed my pet before I leave for my 12-hour shift. So we're saying like noon to 11.59 is before midnight? Screw it. These just sound like monster rules to me. Kill the monster. Mogwai are monsters. EK's looking it up. They are. They're Chinese demons. <laughs> anyway. Let's go ahead and get to the news worth knowing. It's the holidays. I, wanna, I don't want to think too hard on this stuff. We'll go through the news quite quickly. So uh, uh, American warriors are concerned with the woke military leadership, keyword being leadership, and they say it's, quote, destroying the fabric of why soldiers fight. Um, so more often than not, serving the United States military leaves an indelible mark of pride of the men and women who join the fraternity. Yet today, many of the many are worried military leaders are more concerned with ideology than they are with developing a lethal force to defend the nation. Excuse me. Fox News spoke with three such veterans during Phoenix during Turning Point USA's America Fest, all of whom addressed the four day uh, addressed the four day event. "Quote: The Pentagon has been infected with wokeism the same uh, way many other institutions have," said Fox News host Pete Hegseth, who served as a U.S. Army platoon leader. Hexess said that uh, under the Obama presidency, certain uh, generals were chosen based upon their political points of view, not based upon their pedigree for killing the enemy, because they uh, would comply with new priorities. 
So I guess this is all ch changed during the Obama administration. Okay. The sentiment was shared by a uh, former Army Ranger and founder of the Warrior Poet Society. Oh, I got to look into that. John Lovell. I'm not a warrior, though. <laughs> Barely a poet. Uh, so the military is a very specific and strategic job. This is a quote. And that's to keep our country safe, he said. And when you th uh, thrust them into the front line of a sociological experiment, which is a pernicious ideology, which has a pernicious ideology that makes people hate the United States, a soldier can very quickly start to despise the very thing he's supposed to be protecting. Earlier this month, the Air Force Force authorized, but did not require the use of gender pronouns in electronic signature boxes for communications within the department. <laughs> a move panned by veterans, by the veterans. Former Navy SEAL, hoorah, and three of seven founder Chad Wright uh, <clears throat> reflected on when he joined the military. It was don't ask, don't tell. Yes, that was the military I was under. This is a quote. Uh, I'm going to continue his quote. It was don't ask, don't tell. There is none of this stuff. It's a weird environment. I think it's detrimental mis to mission focus. Correct. Leave it to a Navy SEAL to be the most terse. Quote, on my Instagram profile. Oh, now I screwed it up. My pronoun is listed as attack helicopter. So you let everyone know exactly where you are, said Lovell. Uh, you're, you said it all in that first sentence, bro. Uh, Hexath rallied, uh, railed against the upside-down priorities that said uh, and said that while in the National Guard, which he only recently left, well, he was National Guard infantry platoon leader, okay? Uh, uh, those those guys, active-duty Army guys, they know what I mean. You know, they know what I mean. Anyway, <laughs> he was National Guard. Anyway, the obsession of commands and command groups was compliance with the latest politically correct policy coming out of the Pentagon. <laughs> so obviously a lot of these old school military people like myself, um, here we're on the opinion part of this, uh, are, are, are very upset with all this. And it, it is, it detracts from the mission. Absolutely. It distracts and detracts from the mission. And so it's, um, uh, I, I can't, I, w I went to the military with don't ask, don't tell thing. And they were very upfront about it, and I liked it. I really did. It's like, you know, we don't care. They'll say, we don't care if you want to, you know, in your own private time, you know, you got to blow up a bunch of balloons and get them all staticky and stick them all over your body or whatever. We don't care what you want to do. We don't, we don't ask. We don't expect you to talk about it. And that's the way it was because the mission is most important. What you get, on, get, on, get into in your off time, that's your own business, as long as it's legal. You know what I'm saying? And so, I mean, that's kind of the point of the don't ask to hotel policy. A lot of people criticized it. Uh, they, I don't know, some of the older salts when I was in, they, they, they didn't like it because it brought up the conversation at all. You know, <laughs> it's like, uh, cause I mean, I clearly served with gay people. I was in the Navy for God's sakes. I knew gay people. All right. But it, it, it rarely ever came up in any other times. Like if you're hanging out with like at Liberty or something like that, it's like, Oh, you find out so-and-so is gay or something like that. And you don't care, you know, when she's still, you know, she's still, you know, can run those network wires like no business, nobody's business. As long as you do the job, you know, you just don't bring it up at work. And I think it's right. It's like, if you have to, if you have to stop every time a sailor or a soldier sits there and says, actually, my pronouns are so, so no, you are grunt. You are soldier. You are sailor. That is it. We don't have to sit here and get into all of, all of your, get wrapped up in your ego in every single conversation. And really that's what all these pronouns and nonsense is all about is to entertain somebody's ego you know if you go in the military when you go in the military you're you shed your ego and your ego becomes one of a of an agent of the united states of america you know and i was just thinking about this uh, about 
that scene in uh Grand Grand Torino where he's pointing that M M M one Grand get off my lawn. You know, every single soldier, sailor, and stuff like that, they hope to learn these skills in order to protect their own little patch of the world. Hopefully in that patch of the world is in America. You know? That's really what they want to fight for is their own little section of land. You know? And you can do whatever you want on your property, just keep it off of mine. You know, and that's kind of the point. You know, and all of this stuff with the, you know, uh, getting woke in the military and stuff like that, that's the worst place it can be. I can, un I can understand the civilian world getting caught up in that kind of nonsense because that's the, kind of the nature of the civilian world. That's how military people look at the civilian world is because they get, get caught up in that kind of nonsense. The military should not be caught up in that. We should be in the business of putting lead on target, you know, and the mor morality of, do of doing so, you know. That should be their business. Because it's serious business. Lead on target is serious business. And nobody who has their fingers on a nuclear weapon in the world, you know, is worried about <laughs> the gender pronouns of the people and they're on their target list. You know what I'm saying? Jeez, Louise. Military, yeah, military has a purpose. And it's not for making a bunch of confused kids feel better about themselves. Anyway, let's go on to the next story. Uh, Harvard professor Charles Lieber convicted of hiding ties to China. And you know this is all over academia, too. All right. So Harvard University professor Dr. Charles Lieber was found guilty on all counts on Tuesday to charges that he uh, concealed his ties to a Chinese-run recruitment program. Lieber, who is 62, had pleaded not guilty on two counts of filing t false tax returns, two counts of making false statements, and two counts of failing to file reports from a foreign bank account in China, the Associated Press reported. His conviction in a Boston federal courtroom followed nearly three hours of deliberation by a jury at the conclusion of five days of testimony. What I love about a jury trial that is, doesn't involve murder is juries don't have this fear of, like, coming back too soon. Because <laughs> you come out there, it's like, well, you know, it's a you know financial crime, you know, is what it is. Nobody died. And so if there's people who go, like, uh, it's overwhelming as evidence. I think the the 12 angry men, the movie 12 angry men is based upon that concept. It's like, we don't, we don't want to come back too soon with a guilty verdict. Do we, <laughs> this is a man's life. You know, this is a murder, you know? And so when it comes to like three hours of uh, deliberation with the jury, they're just like, well, we know, we know he's guilty. So I want to go home <laughs> anyway. So, uh, this is a quote, this, this case is a barometer for the Justice Department's China Initiative, which is intended to cut down on trade uh, secret theft and counter China's efforts to blur the lines between academia, market re uh, military research, and the private sector, said Craig Singleton, an adjunct, adjunct fellow at the Founder Foundation for Defense of Democracies, FDD. This month, FDD published a report detailing dozens of American universities receiving millions from the Pentagon and other federal agencies and their ties to the Chinese universities that support China's military. Ugh, golly. Federal prosecutors say Lieber signed a contract with Wuhan University of Technology for $50,000 a month and more than $150,000 in the living expenses. Leaping lizards. Yeah. <laughs> I like to think of myself as an honorable man, but that'd be tough to say no to. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right. Lieber is an expert in nanotechnology. Uh, the Department of Defense and National Institutes of Health gave his research, research group, uh, Harvard, $15 million in grant funding, according to the Justice Department. My goodness. What a hot mess, huh?
Yeah. Um, yeah, China's been doing this for a while. You know, they, 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 they encourage like socialist and communist thinking in, in colleges and stuff like that. That's why you have all this woke stuff, uh, happening, you know, because they've been having success happening in colleges now, you know, all the stuff that's happening in colleges, they've been having success trying to foment those kind of views on American campuses by buying off people like, you know, I mean, obviously he's a nanotechnology expert and there's <laughs> more realistic goals and in getting information from him. But, you know, you gotta, you gotta be honest. It's like that person is a traitor in a time of war. If we are at war with China, that guy should be taken out and shot, but he's not, he's just going to jail, I guess. Probably going to pay a hefty fine. <laughs> yeah. So <clears throat> I'm glad, you know, somebody's doing something about that. Even if it's just one case. Anyway, let's go on to this next story. Uh, Kim Potter jury indicates potential deadlock and asks judge what happens if a jury cannot reach consensus. See, I was just talking about this. You know, when somebody's life, when it, when it, it involves somebody's life, it's a much bigger thing, much bigger deal in terms of morality, I think. Uh, quote, the jury, in, this is not a quote, I'm sorry. The jury in the trial of former police officer Kim Potter indicated a potential deadlock on Tuesday evening after nearly 13 hours of deliberation, asking the judge what they should do if they could not agree on a verdict. Judge Regina uh, Chu read the jury's question for the court. If a jury cannot reach consensus, what's the guidance on how long and what steps should be taken? The judge responded by reading part of the instructions that were given to the jury on Monday. Do your homework. <clears throat> Quote, you should decide the case for yourself, but only after but only after you should have discussed the case with your fellow jurors and have carefully considered their views, Judge Chu said. You should not hesitate to re-examine your views and change your opinion if you become convinced that they are erroneous. Uh, but you should not surrender your honest opinion simply because other jurors disagree or merely to reach a verdict. Potter's defense attorneys uh, objected to Judge Chu rereading the jury's instructions, uh, arguing that they would uh, emphasize that that aspect of the instructions over anything else, over everything else. The judge overruled the objection. Okay. The jury, which consists of nine white people, two Asian people, one black. I don't see how that's relevant at all. Two Asian and one black person. They deliberated for more than five hours on Monday after closing arguments. They have been deliberating for about eight hours on Tuesday as of 7 p.m. Eastern time. L listen, um, when it comes to juries and stuff like that, I don't want to, I don't care what the demographics of the jury are. They, it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant for me. And when I think about jury selection, when these lawyers say, we, oh, we want to get more black people on the jury because black people might be more. That is freaking racism. I'm tired of that. I really don't like that. What? You know, there are American civilians. They should be considered as just like, you know, plucked out of a line in many ways, I think. The idea that, you know, you want to get somebody on the jury based upon their ethnic background is racist. That's insane. Anyway, the story about this Potter is a 26-year-old police veteran. She shot and killed 20-year-old Dante Wright in April when she mistook her handgun for a taser. And she is charged with first and second degree manslaughter. The prosecution called Potter's actions a blunder of epic proportions during closing arguments. Quote, they are not putting this, putting the wrong date on a check. This is 
this was not entering the wrong password somewhere. This was a colossal screw-up, Prosecutor Aaron Eldridge told the jury. It was precisely the thing that she'd been warned about for years, and she was trained to prevent it, and it was irreversible, and it was fatal. Potter's attorney placed the blame on Wright for trying to get away from officers as they arrested him on an outstanding weapons charge. Quote, Dante Wright caused his own death, unfortunately. Defense attorney Earl Gray said, his name's Earl Gray. God, did his parents hate him? Or just British. Uh, a quote, in the walk of life, nobody's perfect. Everybody makes mistakes. But gosh, a mistake is not a crime. It just isn't, out, it just isn't in our freedom-loving country. The jury also asked uh, the judge Tuesday if they could remove zip ties so, she, uh, so they could hold Potter's gun. Potter's attorneys objected. But the judge granted the jury's request. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> anyway, I'm gonna, I, I, I want to comment on that because that seems just silly. Uh, but anyway, uh, Kim Potter, If I'm sure, you know, it's been in the news a lot. This Dante Wright, it's awful. It's an awful thing that happened. I don't think that there's any uh, malice. I think it's definitely just a mistake. You know, I, I, the sexist in me can make the argument that, you know, maybe women should be in that kind of role in the police force. That's sexist in me. But this this kind of mistake could happen to anyone, you know, and um, uh, clearly based upon her testimony and stuff like that, she feels terrible about it. I mean, I'm not saying that makes it OK and she should face whatever that, you know, whatever this jury comes to and she should face the, the proper punishment for it, uh, whichever way it goes down. And there's no way I couldn't even make a prediction on how they're, how this is going to play out. But the point is that, you know, um, so, you know, mistakes do happen. They absolutely do. And I think even in the videos after that happened, she shot him with a gun. She realized, Oh, this is, I thought this was a taser. She said, you like, Oh, I'm going to jail. <laughs> and I think she's right. I think she was right. I think she is going to jail, but I don't think there's anything malicious. You know, it's just when the news broke of another black person getting shot by a cop. There's got to be a racial element to it. No, it's just some dipshit. <laughs> Can't tell the taser from a firearm. Ugh. Anyway, so we're, like we're halfway through the news. So I want to start lighting it up. I want to start uh, cheering myself up before I leave for the holiday. Before I leave you guys for the holiday. So uh, let's talk about these Atlanta firefighters who release a video showing a dramatic rescue of a man trapped in an air vent. Atlanta's fire department has posted a dramatic video showing the rescue of a man who fell around 15 to 20 feet down an air shaft. The incident happened at 10.30 a.m. at Coca-Cola's company headquarters, according to Fox 5 Atlanta, or as they say in Atlanta, Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola. What, kind, what flavor Coke you want? <laughs> Go to Atlanta. <laughs> order. I'll have a Coke. What flavor? <laughs> Coke flavor. Because <laughs> some people mean Mr. Pib. <laughs> Quote, after a thorough assessment, uh, it was determined that extrication must happen vertically with assistance from nearly 40 firefighters. The Atlanta Fire Rescue Department posted on Firebook, Facebook. 40 firefighters? Come on. You had nothing else going on. Let's be honest. You're firefighters. You were sleeping when they called. Anyway, uh, the video footage released the department showing the firefighter rappelling down an air shaft before the victim was lifted out in a stretcher. The man reportedly suffered a leg injury and was taken to a local hospital for treatment. So, 
I'm kidding. I'm not trying to make fun of firefighters. They do do important work. And uh, and they should promote it. They should promote it on Facebook and all that. Uh, it it uh, it makes people, uh, your average citizens, hey, you know, they're there and they got our backs and those horrible. If something horrible should happen, walking down by the Coca-Cola factory. <laughs> anyway, let's go on to this next story. Uh, heroic Am- Amazon diver saves teen driver. Excuse me. Heroic Amazon driver saves teen family dog being from a uh, family dog being from that's awful from being attacked by larger dog. I'm going to read you this headline as it appears on Fox News. As you know where I get my news. Heroic Amazon driver saves teen family dog being from attack by larger dog. Isn't that awful? That is so terrible. Fox News. Get a copy editor. It's a, a copy editor, somebody who goes through and makes sure that everything makes sense. It doesn't, it, it doesn't sound stupid. I don't know if you know what that is. I don't know what they're teaching you in college t- these days. <laughs> you know, beyond just spell check. I know you guys see there was a time before spell check where you actually had to see, like, look up a word to see if you spelled it right for a paper that you're typing on a typewriter. All right. Hitting spell check. You know, that doesn't fix all the errors. All right. So frustrating. Anyway, a heroic Amazon delivery driver jumped into action to save a 19-year-old woman and her dog as they were being attacked by a large dog in Las Vegas. For funsies, go look at the video because it's hilarious. (laughs) Because there's a, I don't know, there's a point when it comes to an attacking dog where you really got to, like, give it a real good shove or something like that and hurt them a little so that they can understand, you know, how outmatched they are. Anyway. And some, and there's women out there who don't understand that or don't think that's the way to do it. Like, no, just stop. You know, like some kids like going off on a tantrum, breaking stuff, and you just, no, no, no. Like that's going to stop it. It's like, no, sometimes, you, you know, somebody should hit Samuel at some point. You know what I'm saying? It, it doesn't have to happen a lot, but at some point you got to hit the dog. At some point you got to hit your unruly ass kid. Anyway. All right, uh, she could have easily stayed back, but it, but she saw how aggressive the dog was, uh, but came flying into into help without thought of her well-being. Homeowner, homeowner Michael Ray said in a Facebook post, linking to footage of the scene that was captured on a Ring security camera. The incident happened on December 13th when Ray's daughter, Lauren, went outside and greeted a stray dog that was near the family's front door. Lauren's nine-year-old cocker spaniel named Max also exited the house. The bigger dog, a pit bull, immediately went after Max, why do people got to keep up bringing breeds into this? It's just like the jurors. Anyway, uh, it immediately went after Max, prompting Lauren to scoop him up and yell at the other dog. Uh, quote, my ring alert went off, and I watched as the entire situation unfolded in front of me. Ray, who was at work during the attack, said on Facebook, oh, that's got to make you feel powerless, doesn't it? <laughs> By the time I call somebody, this is going to be resolved, so I don't want to seem like a nervous Nell. <laughs> it's just some, some live... Live TV going on at home. You know. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to deal with this when I get home. Anyway, the Amazon employee identified as Stephanie Lant, uh, ran to Lauren's side and yelled at the pit bull to go away. But, I mean, she actually had to put her hands on it. She actually had, she like, pen, like blocked it with her body. Uh, like, at one point, like, pinched, pinched the dog between her legs, which is fine. That's all fairly nonviolent, you know. Bad dog, Lot said, as Lauren runs into the house with Max. 
That poor cop, Cocker Spaniel must have been confused. You're a bad dog, Lance tells the dog as he backs away from the house. <laughs> Ray called Lance reprimanding of the dog classic. Well, what else can you say to a dog? Anyway, the Rays tracked Lance down and gave her a bouquet of flowers and thanked her for stepping in to help Lauren and Max. Uh Quote, I didn't have enough time to say thank you. I was just shaken up, and I, uh, but I'm so glad I got to see you again. It means a lot to me, Lauren told Lance. The screams made me think of my own child, Lance told KVVU. So the girl was sh shouting like a, uh, screaming like a little, little girl. <coughs> Quote, I would only hope that anyone would jump in, that someone would jump in and help her if she was in a simil similar situation. I wouldn't even think it's motherly. It's just a human thing to do. <laughs> Fair enough. I like this. I like this Amazon delivery lady. Lance added the delivery drivers often see wild and sometimes dangerous situations on, while on the job. Oh, I'm sure. And think of how many cameos you're making on people's ring devices. You know, that's got to be like something you could put on a resume if you're trying to get an acting gig. Anyway, uh, quote, two days prior, prior, I'd been bit by a dog. Two days before that, I had saved a baby that wasn't even two, year, two years old getting to a locked house. Are you? Are you sure an Amazon driver, not a superhero? I mean, this is a quote. I mean, we really go through a lot and we're, <clears throat> and we're there when other people aren't. And sometimes it's not not even recognized. Good point. I do like her. I have a coworker who put out a fire the other day. It was just really uh, there when so when it was, it's just, we're really there when sometimes nobody's there. She added. An Amazon representative said the company appreciates lots of service to our Amazon and, uh, and really to your community. And that they watched ring footage and it was something that they'd never seen before. Get out of town. Get out of town with that. Never seen that before. Get out of here. Nonsense. Yeah, Amazon's not going to pay her anymore, by the way. But um, here's something. It's like, I don't know if you watch Tim Pool. I, I watch Tim Pool. But he's, sometimes he gloms onto phrases and stuff like that and says, says it over and over again. And recently he's been talking a lot about the banality of evil. The banality of evil. And it's like, yeah, there is a, a sort of banality to evil, but there's also a general banality of good, you know, and that banality of good is just it, those, those kind acts from random strangers, you know, an Amazon delivery driver stepping in to help you deal with a pit bull because you don't have the stones to kick it in the face. You know? <laughs> and so, I mean, it's, there's a banality of good too. And it, and that's the miracles that happen in our world and it's the Christmas season. Think about those Christmas miracles. You know, we help each other. It's instinctive. It's like she said, it's not just a mother thing. It's what any good human being would do is help somebody else out if you can. All right. Banality of good. So let's go on to this last story. Texas police officers risked all to save mom and a daughter <coughs> and a cat from a raging fire and may receive a top honor. Austin, Texas police officer who rushed to save a mother and daughter and their cat from a burning home were nominated for medals. Thanks to these officers and their quick, quick action and a dedicated response in rescuing this family, they have been nominated for meritorious service medals. The Austin Police Department posted on Facebook Monday, accompanied by the body cam footage of the scene. Meritorious service awards, awards recognize the integrity of an officer's character while on the job. The fire raged at the apartment complex in the city on December 11th, about 3.30 in the morning, trapping the 10-year-old girl on a balcony. Officers helped the girl down while the fire department used ladders to rescue the unidentified mother. The department named uh, Officer Brent Gray, Officer Anna Aguilar, and Sergeant Gilbert as assisting the unidentified daughter. 
while Corporal Chadwick Honaker also assisted at the scene and uh, bought the family Christmas presents. Family's cat was also rescued, the police said. The, the cause of the fire has not yet been identified, ABC7 reported. Other people were also rescued from the apartment complex and treated for smoke inhalation, obviously. Uh, so here's the thing. If, if, you, if you have the space to grab the cat, you know, if if you run into the room and you're say you're the mother, you can walk, but you want, might want to throw the 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 twelve year old daughter over your shoulder, and would say, "Can you save my cat?" And it's like, nah, "Screw your cat," you know? <laughs> you know. You don't go back in just for the cat. I think they like even tell you that in like health class. You know, don't go back in to get your dog. You're just gonna get yourself killed too. All right. But if you're on your way, it's like I got the mother. You grab the the twelve year old girl. It's like, well, I can throw the. 12-year-old girl over one shoulder and scoop of the cat with the other. That's, why not? Save the cat, too. <laughs> no, I'm sitting down. I'm the one who, I'm, I'm the one who was a dick. <laughs> you know, these people did a great thing, and they're going to be, you know, uh, commendated for it, you know. I was in the military. I mean, uh, I didn't win a medal other than the Good Conduct Medal, but everyone gets that after a certain point, and you don't get in trouble. But uh, medals are just medals, you know. It's just something to wear on your uniform, something extra to wear. I'd rather get a raise, <laughs> but uh, that being said, you know, if you, if all you can get is a medal, uh, I might, you might as well take the medal. Uh, so yeah, uh, we're going to go ahead and end up the show. I want to remind you to go over to patreon.com slash shock monkey radio, become a patron. I would very much appreciate it. It's only $3 a month. And with the way the, uh, the fed is printing out money these days, what does that mean? What does three bucks a month mean? Sell a little bit of your Bitcoin. <laughs> Throw me some of that useless American currency. <laughs> Patreon.com slash Shock Monkey Radio. Become a patron. Or you can send me cash through Cash App. Shock Monkey Radio is the cash tag. I would appreciate it very much. And uh, I'm the madman. This has been Shock Monkey Radio. I want you to have a Merry Christmas and know that I love you. <laughs>